You're listening to Yap, Young and Profiting Podcast, a place where you can listen, learn, and profit. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Hala Taha, and on Young and Profiting Podcast, we investigate a new topic each week and interview some of the brightest minds in the world. My goal is to turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your everyday life, no matter your age, profession, or industry. There's no fluff on this podcast, and that's on purpose. I'm here to uncover value from my guests by doing the proper research and asking the right questions. If you're new to the show, we've chatted with the likes of ex-FBI agents, real estate moguls, self-made billionaires, CEOs, and best-selling authors. Our subject matter ranges from enhancing productivity, how to gain influence, the art of entrepreneurship, and more. If you're smart and like to continually improve yourself, hit the subscribe button because you'll love it here at Young and Profiting Podcast. This week on Yap, we're chatting with Joel Brown, mentor, coach, podcast host, and visionary expert. Joel founded the number one motivation website, addictedtosuccess.com, with hundreds of millions of views worldwide, and his popular podcast, Addicted to Success, has secured more than 3 million downloads. Joel has traveled the world teaching thousands of people how to stand in their vision for success so they can turn their dreams into a reality. He's built multiple six-figure online businesses and is skilled in building massive online communities, monetizing online brands, and networking. Joel has worked alongside the likes of Tony Robbins, the Dalai Lama, Simon Sinek, and more. He's been featured in publications like Forbes, Inc., Entrepreneur, and the Huffington Post. In this episode, we talk about how Joel started out his career in radio and music. We'll learn his top tips for networking and the importance of moving past revenue. We'll also chat about how to create a 10-year vision, the importance of being guided by your values, and the reason to always focus on inspiration as opposed to motivation. If you're looking to level up your life and get serious about your vision, you do not want to miss this episode. Hey, Joel, welcome to Young and Profiting Podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Appreciate you inviting me on this show. I'm excited. I know. I'm so hyped for this conversation because when you speak, you speak from the heart and you're just so inspirational, so motivational. Everything that I've heard from you, I I feel just so connected with you because I feel like we have very, very similar beliefs in terms of like how we attack becoming successful. And I think you have, you're a little bit more planned in terms of like, this is what you do. You teach people how to be motivated, inspired. And I feel like everything you say, I'm like, yeah, that's what I do. (laughs) But I just haven't like ever thought about it so clearly or written it down. So I'm really excited to talk to you. So you're an entrepreneur entrepreneur, you're a podcast host, uh, you're many things, but we always like to start from the beginning. So from my understanding in high school, you were bullied um, and you actually dropped out when you were 16. So talk to us about what you were like as a teenager and then how you ended up being inspired to uh, go on this journey in terms of tackling your dreams and, and things like that. Awesome. Well, that's a good place to start. Let's look, let's look at that. Uh, it's interesting because a lot of people will be like, when did you first build your website or when did you, you know, first make, you know, this much money or what? I honestly really believe that these type of moments shape your life, you know? And uh, for me, growing up in high school, the first couple of years, I felt like I, I fit in. I felt like school was pretty normal. I was doing pretty well. Uh, and then there was this popular group, if you want to call it like that. I don't know, in America, maybe you call it like the jocks, Right. Uh, started to kind of form this group together and they used to go around just picking on everybody, you know, the Asians, the Gothics, um, the nerds, just anyone that they could class as different to them. 
and I was learning capoeira, the Brazilian martial arts and, and kickboxing at the time. And, you know, when I was a little kid, even in kindergarten, I remember, remember having a bit of a run in and I felt like the injustice was not fair, you know? And so it's a double-edged sword. It's a gift and a curse in a sense. So it's like, it's, it, it, it's a driver in me to, to notice things in the world where there is that injustice and, and to go, well, like, let's find a solution for this. And on the other, on the other side, I got to make sure I don't consume myself in it because <laughs> you can't develop a savior complex. Right. And that was, that was definitely a workings that I, I got to go through earlier on in my coaching career was making sure that I wasn't pouring out so much and getting so much meaning from being able to help everybody. Now I don't look at it like that. I don't help people. I support you know, everyone has greatness in them. You've got greatness in you, right? And it's about inspiring and, and challenging you to, to shift your perceptions, to look at things in a different way. I can't tell you what to think, but I can challenge you and I can present to you different ways of thinking so that how you think becomes different, right? So that's what I, you know, from a young age, I went through that experience. I got very severely bullied from year nine all the way up to year 11. So it was like two and a half to three years just straight of just every recess and lunchtime, bullied, bullied, bullied. And one day I just went enough, me and you after school, let's do it. And, and the guy never showed up. And then uh, three months later, I got a tap on the shoulder and got knuckle dusters to the face and got steel cap boots and jumped by 20 people. Uh, oh my and gosh, and you were 11? Big. No, I was year 11, year 11. So year 11, okay, yeah. got it. Yeah. And in Australia, it's uh, 16 years old. So, you know, in Australia, we, we graduate high school at the end of our year of being 17. You know, you start start college or TAFE in, when you're 18. And I, uh, I, never, I never graduated. I don't have a high school certificate. I dropped out. My high school wow. dropped out. Yeah. So there was definitely something in me that I felt like I wasn't, wasn't meant for school. Like I just, I remember feeling so bored out of my brains when I'd sit there listening to my teacher teaching trigonometry and algebra. I could respect the fact that that was for somebody else in a different space. I was like, that's cool. But I just always felt really unstimulated. I, I, I wanted to create. I wanted to express. I loved like reading things and sharing things. And, uh, and I think that you know, a lot of the, the, the systems and structures in the world until you actually start to really immerse yourself in, in new philosophies and new understandings, a lot of the time it's really, it's really like a factory. It's very rigid. It's a very rigid way of, of living life. And I think that, you know, it's not one size fits all. It's, it's very general. And, and there is, I believe we live in some sort of a matrix where we do have structures in our life that, are, that to a degree favor the general masses but i think a lot of people that want to be able to actually do something pretty wild in this world they're going to have to be ready to be ridiculed and be be ready to be told that what they want to do is not going to work and and it's just people's small-minded visions that they're projecting on you and if you don't have a grand vision for your future and you're not committed to it you're not in the practice of stepping in then you buy into their small-minded visions that they project on you yeah. And I'm definitely going to touch on visions in a moment, but first I want to, I want to keep talking about your journey. And by the way, for everybody listening, me and Joel have very similar journeys and we've done a lot of the same things. So talk to us about how you got into the music career, because from my understanding, you know, your high school dropout, but then you had a very successful music career and even I think dabbled in radio at one point. So I'd love to hear about how you got those opportunities when you actually didn't have the credentials. So how did that happen? Yeah, great question. Yes. Oh, man, you're taking my mind back. This is awesome. Hala. I love it. 
so I was very much into my hip hop, hip hop and R&B. That was my jam. I used to listen to, well, what was I listening to? DMX, It's Dark and Hell is Hot. I used to listen to, you know, Dr. Dre, Chronic 2001. When I was in high school, before I dropped out, I remember um, 50 Cent had come out, Get Richer Die Trying. It was like a big, big uh, classic album. And so I was, you know, very much in that space. I, I practiced producing music, I DJ. But what I was really good at, just, you know, when you look back in your life and you, you kind of challenge yourself, and I challenge anyone that's listening right now, like look back and, and have a look at the pinnacle moments in your life where you had like great achievements or breakthroughs. What skill set were you using often? What was that consistent skill set that you, you brought in? For me, when I looked back at it in retrospect, I realized my, the power of networking. You know, I have had this knack that I had developed where I was very dialed into being able to pretty much create opportunities for, for anyone I was connected with, right? Like I'd just be able to like look at a situation and go, there's a way to create a win-win in this. And this is how you're able to bring value to a person in this way. And if I was able to bring this, this person in or I was able to utilize whatever this is in my platform, that we'd be able to create a win-win situation. And I just got really good at identifying that. And I think um, a lot of it comes down to, you know, I had a conversation with Dr. Joe Dispenza. We talked about this, right? And, and he said, Joel, you know, I think one of our greatest weaknesses in humanity is the fact that we're just poor observers, and I just remember I'd observe a lot, right? Like I kind of like noticed what was happening in the scape and I would then go and utilize that and that would become my strength. So I started using that when it came to music and I, I started noticing talent, you know, DJs that were good, producers that were good, songwriters that were good. And I'd like pair them together and we create demo tracks and then I would utilize, oh, I remember I used like, uh, I was using MySpace right? I created a website called stadiummusic.net. You probably can't even find it anymore. I don't know if it's even around. Stadiummusic.net. It was a mixtape website. It was a hip-hop and R&B mixtape. And I was very much, um, I, I connected with a guy called DJ Clinton Sparks. I don't know if he, I think he's on... Um, I've heard of him. Sirius, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sirius Satellite Radio, I think. Yeah, yeah. So you, I know you were on Hot 97. And so, you know, I, I saw a lot of inspiration in him. I got to connect with him when he came out to Australia. And, and you know, I was selling mixtapes at the time, ordering them into Australia and then selling them off. I don't think I've ever shared this on any interview. You get an exclusive right now. Look out. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and it just kind of like went from like a leverage point to a leverage point where because I had these mixtapes, other artists and people wanted to get on to um, being able to be a part of what I was putting out and distributing. And then on top of that, I was using MySpace to reach out to artists people like Fat Joe, Talib Kweli, Pitbull, T-Pain, these type of artists to get them on a radio station in Perth in Western Australia. And see, I don't even have the radio station. I, I volunteered to see if I could produce and I, I just kept showing up. I kept knocking on the door, knocking on the door. I went every single week. My dad used to drop me off because I hadn't got my license yet, right? I was getting my P-plates training for my license. But I would show up every week consistently and just keep knocking and keep asking. And finally, they said, look, you can sit in with the producer um, and just kind of see how it all works. And that was when I met a DJ that was there. His name's DJ Fanatic, um, which is, we'll fast forward it soon and you'll see who he is. It's pretty interesting. And what I did was I, I thought, man, there's a way I can bring value to this to really start like moving up the ranks. So I would jump on MySpace and I'd reach out to these artists and I'd say, hey, I can get you plays on Western Australia's biggest hip hop and R&B station if we do an interview. 
So I used to get like this is before Skype and Zoom. Just remember this, like this, this is getting resourceful here, Ala. Like it's another thing for anyone that's listening. Like, what resources can you use? Get resourceful. Like, look around, find out what tools you can use to make it happen, right? So I would get an old school telephone, you know, like the ones where you have to like pick it up and it's got a cord. I had one of those, right? And I'd run a really long, like 12 meter, 15 meter cable out into the kitchen in my parents' um, parents' house. And I would buy an international dialing card and it would cost a lot. Like I, if I was on an hour conversation, that was like a $10 card to call America from Australia. But I would do it and I'd patch it into a microphone, uh, into, a, into a mixer, and then would run that into my computer, into my sound card. And I used to record through some program. I think it was like Gold Wave or it was some, some sort of program. And I would be interviewing these artists. And then what I'd do is I'd get exclusive tracks from them and I would have their interviews wedged in between the exclusive tracks. Plus I'd like get more exclusive mixtape stuff from other artists that wanted to feature and we'd play it as like a mix on the radio show. And I got into a conversation with T-Pain's uh, manager and he was linked with a guy called Jim Johnson. Now, Jim Johnson produced Lollipop for Little Wayne. He produced T.I., Whatever You Like, Soldier Boy, Kiss You Through the Phone, Sweet Dreams for Beyonce. Yeah, he so many tracks, right? And um, he was looking for some apprentice producers at the time. He's like, I want to like build out my production team. So I, my buddy, DJ Fanatic, who was a scratch battle DMC champion, uh, DJ, I linked him with a guy that could play piano and was an audio engineer. So they came together to make awesome music, scratch up samples and play keys over the top. And Jim Johnson loved it so much that he flew us all out to Miami. So that's kind of where it all started. And we signed a subsidiary deal under Atlantic Records. Then we're working in the studio, uh, meeting people like Usher and Pharrell. And we worked with the Evanescence um, piano players. And yeah, we just, we worked with the guys that did all the violins for Linkin Park and, you know, Nelly and Kelly Rowland and Ludacris. And as a matter of fact, you know, the, my producers at the time, Fanatic and Zach, now they produced a bunch of tracks for Kanye West. They produce ASAP Rocky's uh, tracks. You know, they've worked with a lot of awesome artists and they've just been doing that this whole time. They've been staying in and, and committed. But at one point, I'm going to be honest with you, I, I started to feel like I would wake up every morning. This is about three years in after all like the awesome red carpet events and hanging out with all the, you know, the celebs and stars. And I used to wake up every morning with this knot in my stomach and this, this like looping line in my head of, I'm not supposed to be here. And I, I couldn't understand it at the start. I was like, what, why am I being ungrateful? Am I, am I in fear? And it wasn't, it was love. It was like, I'm passionate about life and I want, I know there's more in me. And it was really hard for my producers at the time to understand that when I told them I'm not going to continue on the journey, they were like, and people thought I was crazy. Like I had friends, family, people were like, why would you do this? Why would you throw it in? I'm like, I think in our life, we're supposed to have multiple passions. Some of us have the bandwidth for that. And I said, I'm just ready to go to another chapter to, to just, I need, need the next challenge. Yeah. Hold that thought for a second. We're going to get there. I love this transition, but I do want to talk about networking because you brought up something so key that I, I just want to drill home. And I'm very, very similar. Networking is bringing people to, it's just connecting dots. And that's the best way to maintain relationships. When you can be like, I know this person, I know that person, they need to know each other and do something together. And that's such a great way to like keep your connections warm 
and keep in touch with people and make yourself relevant and make yourself valuable because then the next time somebody has an opportunity, they're going to think of you because they're, oh yeah, Hal hooked me up with this. Let me call her. That's like a master networking technique. So talk to us about that a little bit in terms of like in that space, what have you learned in terms of like your top tips for networking before we get on to next chapter of your life? That's a great question. You know, I, I think, um, from a psychological standpoint, like let's go there. I don't think I ever looked at it in a way where, Oh, I want to hook that person up. So it's a, it's a win for me. It was always about, it was always about the excitement of creating something more than what was already in reality. Like I, I love that. I'm a creator at heart. Like I love creating content online. I love creating things for my coaches. I love creating new frameworks and, and coaching tools. I just love it. I love the challenge that like no one's created it in this way. I want to create this. And maybe that's why I had an affinity for music, you know, is I, I really appreciate creation. And, and for me, I always looked at it like, you know, if I, if I could come in and share ideas and those ideas were able to be like, <laughs> we, we do it every time when we create events and workshops and retreats, you know, when I work with my speakers and and my business partners that I've worked with before, it's like, we've got an idea. Okay, this is how the event will go. And it's crazy. And I say it sometimes, like I'm standing on stage and we've got all these people in the audience. And I tell them like, you guys, this was just, I want you to know, this was just an idea months ago. This was just an idea. And now we're all sitting in the idea right now. Like this is manifested in reality. And it's so gangster. It's so cool. That's what I want people to be able to know that they're able to do this too. And, and that's the fun thing about success. For me, it's not about the bling bling, the material. It's actually being able to manifest what started here and has become reality, knowing that, man, I'm powerful in my creation. I'm a weapon of mass creation. And unfortunately, people are staying in stagnation because they're not tapping into that incredible weapon of beauty and love that they can share with the world. And so for me, I look at it like, man, if I can just show someone that that like creation is possible and that I always say this, this to people, especially when I'm doing sales, right? Like if I'm having a conversation with someone and they're looking at coming in on a program or, or they, they just feel stuck and they're, they, you know, they're coming up with some, some reasons as to why they can't afford or invest. I ask them, I go, look, if you don't, if you want to challenge yourself with this question, I want you to really think about this. Ask yourself this, what must I create in order to make this possible? And I leave them with that. I'm like, you go work out whatever that is. You know, I'm not a person that's going to say, go get your credit card, go get a loan, go get, I just say, just, just walk away with this one question that you ask yourself and then just let me know in 24 hours. And I can't tell you how many times other people have come back to me to go, Joel, like I've worked at, I've found a way. And I'm like, of course you have, because there always was a way. It was a matter of resourcefulness and willingness. Like, are you ready? Are you actually really, how bad do you want it? Are you willing to play all out even if you don't know what's coming next because what's coming next is going to be greater than what you've ever achieved? That's a beautiful thing about our future is that it has it, like our past has nothing on what we can create now. There's more. There's more to come. And I love what like when you're talking about being resourceful and kind of using your leverage. It's something that I talk about a lot. You need to kind of take an inventory and see like, what do you actually have? Like what connections do you have? What platforms do you have? Like, what are your resources? A lot of people kind of fall to the excuse instead of thinking about like creative solutions for how you can get what you want. Right. I think it's, I think really a lot of success is about having these creative solutions and just asking, you know, so I totally agree with everything you're saying. 
a thousand percent, a thousand percent. You get it. You just hit the nail on the head. And and this is a a word of wisdom that I, I live by. I remember when I first heard this, I just went, wow. Like it just resonated in everything in my being and I've embraced it ever since. And it is, you don't get in life what you think you deserve. You get what you negotiate. Everything's a negotiation. Like it's not even just what you say, Hala. Right? If you're listening now, I want you to really challenge yourself. Have I just been saying things or am I actually doing it through my actions too? Because we negotiate through the way that we show up in, in how we be as well. Really cool. I love that. I'm going to get into, let's talk about negotiation later. And I want to talk about your next phase in life. So you were just talking about how you were in music and you decided that this wasn't really fulfilling for you anymore. And what happened? You went back to Australia after that. What happened next? I went back. Yeah, I went back to Australia. You know, there was like this instilled belief within me. I, I call it the whispers of wisdom, right? It was like God was tapping me on the shoulder and he's like, and I remember just feeling these times where I noticed that I started to feel like I wanted, I had a hunger and a thirst to go into more self-development. And I, I didn't quite work out like what I was going to do with it. I just, I took up a sales job. I started reading Grant Cardone's sales book, Closes Survival Guide. I think it was Closes Sales Survival Guide. Uh, one of those books. And reading Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I was listening to Jack Canfield. I was listening to Les Brown. And I, I, I started to feel within myself like, hey, it'd be really cool to be able to do this, you know, to be able to speak and to inspire others. I think it's what I was trying to do in the space I was in. But as a manager with producers and songwriters, I was in the background, you know. And, and, I, and I, like, I was like, man, I could do more with this. I want to actually be with people. I want to talk with people. I want, I want to hear people's stories, you know. So... I got really good at, at, at my sales and I got really good at applying a lot of the, the habits to my life. You know, I started living in what I call the four dimensions of excellence, values, beliefs, habits, and skills, right? Which is your, your values is your compass. Your beliefs is you got to be ready. Your habits is you're willing and your skills is are you able, right? And so I, I really just started living in this space where I committed myself to sticking the frameworks and really seeing like, hey, what would I, what would I do if I played at my highest level? more consistently. And I, I did really well. And I worked my way up the rungs in the sales company. And I had the opportunity to sit in a room in a sales environment. It was a training workshop. This guy walks out, you know, he has this, this white button up shirt. It is, you know, like these shiny little cuff links. He had a Rolex watch. He had these shiny shoes and slack pants. He's like, ladies and gentlemen, my name is Jordan Belfort. And the Wolf of Wall Street. And I'm here today to teach you how to be a force to be reckoned with. I don't know if I got the jersey yet. He's, he, what is he, New York? Is he New Pretty York? Good. I think he's New York, yeah. <laughs> Maybe he's Jersey. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think he's New York. I think he's from New York. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah, I just remember feeling like, wow, like I'm blown away. This, this dude is an actual live speaker in the flesh. I listened to Tony Robbins and all these people, but he was staying, I sat right at the front. And he was there and he challenged me. So he challenged everyone in the room to cast a 10-year vision, but he turned to me and he, he challenged me to get up and command it to the room, declare the vision. And, you know, I got the CEO of the company that expects me to go under the wing of the manager of the company to like work my way up. And my, the manager was like, you're going to be here and kind of like, oh, this will be yours, you know, looking out of the ivory tower, at like the, the city, and like they're all buying Aston Martins. There, and it was kind of like the boys club. And, and I was like, okay, I've got to work my way up to that. But once I was in the room that day, and I actually was challenged to write out what I truly want to do. And I got clear. And at the start, I'm going to be honest with you, it was kind of uncomfortable. It was like, 
you know, my limiting beliefs were in the way and all this stuff. And, but I was like writing it out and I felt excited. And then I read it out. And I remember the CEO in the back of the room was just like, what the, like you could see him like kind of cursing to himself and he's shaking his head. He couldn't believe the, the, the declaration I was making because I was basically saying, I'm going to leave this job and I'm going to be running this big self-development company. And they're all kind of like, are we going to put resources into this kid? You know, this 20, 21 year old kid, you know, that's or 22 year old kid that that's saying that he's going to be, you know, using all his time to build this out. And um, I ended up wrapping up pretty shortly after that. And it, crazy story. I ended up working up north in the deserts of Western Australia, catching snakes and lizards and kangaroos. Um, sounds kind of out there, but I did that because in my vision, I mapped out this like one big swing. It's like, what would you do in your 10-year vision when I was reverse engineering? It was like, if I was to make this 10-year vision a two-year vision or a three-year vision, like what would be the one big like outlandish swing that you would do that would like b- catapult you closer to that 10th year? And for me, it was leaving the, the day job that I was in to earn double the money so that I could invest even more faster back into build addicted to success. And it was like, put me in prison, seriously, because it was like 12 hour days uh, in America, you'd say it'd be like 120 degree Fahrenheit heat, uh, you know, like 28 days straight with only like a four days off, you know, so it was intense. But the whole time it was just like, listen to Think and Grow Rich. I was just listening to Tony Robbins. I was just centering on my vision the whole time. Like it's going to this, it's going to this, I'm building it out, it's going to happen. Young and profiters, they may call me the podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I've been a LinkedIn influencer for six years now, and I teach one of the most popular courses about LinkedIn. And I love to teach sales on LinkedIn because when it comes to B2B sales, LinkedIn has got that on lock. LinkedIn is where all the decision makers are hanging out. There are 180 million senior level decision makers on LinkedIn and 10 million C-suite decision makers. These people are on LinkedIn and they're in the mode to buy. They're using LinkedIn for their buying journey to research vendors or sales reps that they might work with, to look up how to solve their problems, to learn from industry thought leaders. They're in the mode to buy, whereas on other platforms, they're in the mode to be entertained. You want to get them in the right mindset. You want to cut through the noise with LinkedIn ads. In fact, 79% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as their top channel for paid media. And LinkedIn has the best targeting because they've got all these different inputs. People are putting their resume basically up on there. And so there's so many keywords that they can use to target the right decision makers so they can hear about how you solve their problems. And I've got a special gift for all you young and profiters who want to try LinkedIn ads. You can get $100 credit. LinkedIn was super generous. If you want to make B2B marketing everything it can be and get $100 credit on your next campaign, go to linkedin.com slash yap, Y-A-P. Again, if you want to claim your credit, go to linkedin.com slash yap. Terms and conditions apply. Young and profiters, Yap Media is growing so fast. I have 10 open roles just this month. In the past, it would take me so long to find hires. I have to go on all these different job sites. I have to create my own skills assessments. That's why I let Indeed do a lot of this heavy lifting for me. Indeed is the powerful hiring platform where I can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Indeed has things like skills assessments, where when we have specific roles, we can find an assessment that matches that role and we can make sure they have the skills that we need. Then I can focus on culture fit. I can make sure they're scrappy enough and are obsessed with excellence and 
do all the things that we need to do for them to fit in at Yap. And Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools like Instant Match. An Instant Match basically matches you with candidates as soon as you put up a job post with people who are qualified right away. It's instant. And the best part is it gets better as you use it. So now when I use Indeed, especially when I'm hiring for similar roles, I get people right away where they know that I'm going to like the candidates because they can see what my preferences were in the past. It gets better as you use it. According to US Indeed data, the moment Indeed sponsors a job, over 80% of employers get candidates whose resumes are a perfect match for the position. It's like waving a magic wand that gets better as you use it. So I love using Indeed. We've found a lot of our A players on there. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide who count on Indeed to hire their next superstar like we do at Yap Media. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash profiting. Offer is good for a limited time. Claim your $75 sponsored job credit at indeed.com slash profiting. Again, that's indeed.com slash profiting and support the show by saying you heard about it on Young and Profiting Podcast. Again, it's indeed.com slash profiting to get your $75 credit. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Young and profiters, we are all making money. But is your money hustling for you? Meaning, are you investing? Putting your savings in the bank is just doing you a total disservice. You got to beat inflation. I've been investing heavily for years. I've got an E-Trade account. I've got a Robinhood account. And it used to be such a pain to manage all of my accounts. I'd hop from platform to platform. I'd always forget my Fidelity password. And then I have to reset my password. I knew that needed to change because I need to keep track of all my stuff. Everything got better once I started using Yahoo Finance, the sponsor of today's episode. You can securely link up all of your investment accounts in Yahoo Finance for one unified view of your wealth. They've got stock analyst ratings. They have independent research. I can customize charts and choose what metrics I want to display for all my stocks so I can make the best decisions. I can even dig into financial statements and balance sheets of the companies that I'm curious about. Whether you're a seasoned investor or looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Oh my gosh, that's such an inspiring story. I love this. So 10-year vision, talk to us about like, if you can just give us a guide in terms of how do we create our 10-year vision? What is the relationship of goals within that vision? And from my understanding, you actually accomplished your 10-year vision in six years. So you just talked about the swing. Is there any other tips in terms of how we can accelerate that? Yeah, yeah. You you know, I've been teaching the 10-year vision process for a long time now. And I was blessed by Jordan because he he introduced me to the concept of it. He essentially said, you know, write out a script with as much detail. Um, There's a few things he taught me in there, like some words of wisdom. He said, uh, and I remember this because I felt a bit of a block while I was writing out my vision. I felt like I was dark. I felt like I had done things in my past. You know, I, I got into drugs and alcohol and, and you know, like sexually deviant. And, and like I was beating myself up for it, right? I was like acting as if like, you know, I'd made all these mistakes and I wasn't worthy of being a positive, inspiring person. Like what if, you know, the imposter syndrome, what if I get caught out? What if people think that I'm not positive and I, I've done all these things when I was younger, you know? And 
And he said, you know, you are not your past. You are the lessons and the resources that you glean from it. And I remember that day I realized like no one's going to write me a permission slip. No one's going to come along and do that. I'm going to write my own damn permission slip. You know, that's what I, that's what I got to do for myself that day when I did that. And I noticed myself shift and, and I, I gave myself permission to create and to go, I'm going to do something new here. And so that was a really defining moment for me. And I think for anybody, when you give yourself permission to just do something different for once, it's like, you're going to wait to feel worthy or do you negotiate it, right? The same thing as what I said, like when you say like, just because you think you deserve it, that's not enough. It's part of it, but it's not enough. I've got to show you that I'm willing to step in and, and do it anyway. I want it anyhow, no matter what the cause, like I'm there, you know, and I, and I keep showing up in it consistently. And so he taught me this concept just by just dropping that word of wisdom and I pieced it together. And, and he's, he shared to reverse engineer it, start with the 10th year. What would you do in the, ten, the ninth year to get to the 10th, the eighth to get to the ninth year, and like write it back. I wrote so many pages, like 16 or 17 pages. But the thing that I've come to realize just through really just going around, traveling around the world, teaching this to tens of thousands of people, I, I actually tweaked it a lot and I added in my own frameworks and other things to just really supercharge the vision process. The one thing I'd say, Hullet, like if you really keep this in mind, it's not even about you achieving the vision. It's not about the things that you get in the vision. It's about who you become in the process, right? Like when I write something down and when you write something down and you follow through, you're a woman of your word. I'm a man of my word. That in itself is worth its weight in gold. Like to be somebody that writes something down and shows up and follows through, that's an incredible skill set to have because a lot of people don't take ownership. It's, it's a huge thing. I, I do a lot of trauma work, right? So we do a lot of work around healing and a lot of people don't take ownership for their wounds because it's easy to blame somebody else. If I'm getting triggered, it's them. It's not me, it's them. Well, guess what? You'll never change because you're not taking, like it starts with you. And, and, and when you start to, you know, go into this and realize, wait, I get to actually create what I want in my life. And I believe that you don't, you get to have it all, just not all at once. It comes together in time and you have patience. And that's why with the 10-year vision process, I go through the eight categories of life. And then you map out the vision based off your eight categories to have the most harmonious life, right? Because I believe everything is touching everything. So you have one, one, I'll break down the categories for you if you don't mind. We have, write this down if you're listening right now. We've got business and career. Okay, that's the first one. Second is finances. Third is health. Really important, especially right now, right? Fourth one is romance right? That might be a bit of a trick of some people too. <laughs> Romance, right? Then we have family and friends. Then we have fun and adventure. Then we have self-development. And for some of you, it may be spiritual development, depending on how you, you feel yourself. And then the last one is physical environment, right? And, and this is one that a lot of people miss. It's like, do you actually feel inspired where you live? Do you have natural light coming in? Are you close to the places where you want to be? Do you have to like, you know, commute like I used to when I was working a nine to five job for one hour there to work one hour back and I started crunching the numbers. It's like two hours a day, 10 hours a week, 40 hours a month, 470 something hours a year. I felt like I was wasting my life, you know? So like all these things are important because we even consider physical environment. Our physical environment has a 40% effect on our mental state. If you stay in an environment long enough over a pe longer period of time in a matter of weeks to months, it's going to have an effect on your mental state. Like right now, there's a war on reality with, with COVID and everything that's going on. And like, whether you like it or not, something's changed in the atmosphere. 
So, you know, it's, it's about like, well, how do I structure my life in a way where it sets me up to win? Even if these things are happening, like I'm not going to be blind to it and ignorant, but I'm going to structure so that I'm doing more of what I desire that I value in my day because that's where I'm in spirit. That's where I'm inspired from within. You don't need to motivate yourself anymore. Motivation's on the external. I want internal. I want in spirit. I want inspiration. I want to have the torch lit from within and be creating what I desire to create in my life. Not what society tells me I should do, not what mom and dad think is a great idea, you know, not what my, my best friend will drop in every now and then in, you know, in a conversation of like, you should do this and that. If, if it's not in alignment with what I truly value, then no, you don't. Because a lot of people will often do things to be able to get significance and, and validation and approval from others. It's very liberating when you create from a place where you realize you don't have to do that anymore, that you're actually, you can accept who you are yourself and you can create what you want yourself and you can be a good human in the process too. I think some people think they've got to sacrifice, oh, I've got to be this type of person in order to get this. You don't. This episode of Yap is sponsored by FreshBooks. If you love Yap, then you'll also enjoy the I Make a Living podcast, where celebrity matchmaker and entrepreneur Damana Hoffman talks to today's most successful small business owners about what it means to carve your path, define success on your own terms, and build a business that satisfies you. The podcast dives deep into every aspect of being your own boss, the upsides, the downsides, and everything in between. Awesome guests of the show include Smart Passive Income podcaster Pat Flynn and Drew Bar founder Ali Webb. In addition to the main interview episodes, they have mini episodes called The Nerdy Sodes, where they nerd out on a specific hot topic like SEO or work life balance. I Make a Living podcast is produced and sponsored by FreshBooks, the friendly accounting software that helps millions of small businesses not hate their accounting and stay on track of their business finances. To listen to the show, go to freshbooks.com slash podcast or search I Make a Living on your favorite podcast platform. This episode of Yap is brought to you by Gusto. If you're a small business owner, this is for you. Running a business is just plain hard. Endless to-do lists, employees to take care of, and your ever-present bottom line. So first of all, kudos to you for staying on top of it all. Gusto wasn't just built for small businesses. It was built for the people behind them. Their online payroll is so easy to use and they can automatically calculate paychecks and file all your payroll taxes, which means you have more time to run your business. Plus, Gusto does way more than just payroll. They can help with time tracking, health insurance, 401ks, onboarding, commuter benefits, offer letters, access to HR experts. You get the idea. They've got everything you need to help run your business. It's super easy to set up and get started. And if you're moving from another provider, they can help transfer all your data for you. At Yap Media, we're actually gearing up to start our HR benefits on Gusto. And this was the plan even before they sponsored me, because after doing my due diligence and research, I chose Gusto. They provide payroll, benefits, onboarding, HR all in one place. And the key is that it's at an affordable price. It's a budget that suits my growing startup. It's no surprise 94% of customers are likely to recommend Gusto. Here's the best part. Because you're a listener, you get three months completely free. All you got to do is go to gusto.com slash yap. Again, that's gusto, G-U-S-T-O dot com slash yap. I'm telling you, you're going to love gusto. Get started today. 
Oh my gosh. You guys need to like rewind that part back because he just dropped so many gems. Let's stick on motivation versus inspiration, because I know that they're two very different things. Talk to us about that and, and why we kind of need to focus on inspiration and how we can do that. Yeah. Well, the reason why I'm not the biggest fan of motivation is because it almost damn near killed me. Right. And I mean that in a sense that it almost killed my flow and it killed my dreams. I, I started to lose myself in, in the game. I call it the game. Because uh, there is, there's a game that's going on right now and, and a lot of people are caught up in it. We see it on social media. You know, people are, they're acting in a certain way to be able to be popularized, to be able to be accepted, to be validated. Now, that's coming from lack and scarcity and it's filling a void essentially. But the problem with it is that it becomes just like vacuum, right? And, and it's just never enough. And so I did this for so long. I mean, even the name Addicted to Success, I'm going to be honest with you. I was creating from that place when I created it. Now I can embrace it and like kind of be like, hey, cool, that was my journey and that's what it is and it still applies today. It's just my definitions of success changed. You know, because some people will go, well, success to me is getting a bunch of money. It's about having the status and the significance and it's having the fancy house on the hill and it's having the awesome network of like people that respect me because I'm doing great things. But the question is, can you go to bed at night feeling good about who you are as a human being? Do you go to bed at night crying yourself to sleep? Are you proud of the type of relationships that you can have in your life? Or do you just, you ruin each one that you step into? Or are you attracting ones you don't want in your life, right? Because these are the things that matter more. I know this, but it's like I had to achieve a lot of things to realize like the things, the material is not it. It's how I feel about who I am and, and, and it's, it's how I feel about my mission. Is it meaningful? Is it actually something that I, I, I'm proud of that I can get up and go, you know what? Moving the needle today. And I'm surrounded by people that also have great virtues in their life and they're great people. Like some of my friends, they don't have big businesses. They don't have, you know, the, the money coming in and all the other. They're just really good people and I trust them. And they, they really stand by their integrity and they have great loyalty and they're very compassionate. Like that to me, that's way more valuable than somebody that has a verification badge on their profile. Well, it's made 20 million. I've hung out with centillionaires and some of them, I'm just not impressed. I just wouldn't hang out with them. It doesn't matter who they are, what they have. And I think a lot of people hang so much of like an emphasis on things that are so shallow and so surface. And I think to some degree, we all got to go through that experience to realize that that's not it. And it's just because they're coming from lack. And, and often we come from lack because we have trauma that we've experienced in our life. You know, when I do my trauma coaching, we work through 10 layers of trauma. And I got to be honest, Hala, so many people, you'd see them and you think they got their life together. And I get in and like by the time like I'm going through the 10 layers and out of 10, they've got eight, like eight, like they were physically um, whipped, smacked, beaten when they were a kid. They were told they weren't good enough. They were told they can't show strong emotions like anger or joy. They were shamed by their family or their friends. They were held to a responsibility of their, their parents' happiness. They were emotionally neglected, right? They felt like they were walking around on eggshells. They, they felt abandoned. Like there's so many different levels of trauma. Like when we hear trauma, we think it's just getting hit or like a car crash or something like that. But it's not. Trauma works on a, on a mental and emotional level too, you know, and a sexual level too. So I think a lot of what we do is if we're coming from needing motivation all the time, we're going to come from force. 
We need to force it. We're forcing up the hill, forcing all the time, trying to beat the clock. It gets glorified so much in entrepreneurship. You got to like run till your feet fall off and your face melts. And I, I just, it doesn't impress me because I know what's coming from lack. And if you want to operate in a higher frequency, it's about coming from power, like true authentic power and creation. And the way we do that is we, we move to a place of forgiveness first, forgiving the things that have happened in our past, reconciling with it in the subconscious mind and, and meeting with that shadow and working through the inner child and showing yourself, hey, I'm on your own team. And no matter what's happened in the past, we, we don't have to necessarily forget it. We can accept that it's there and we get to let it go. That's having taking power back, right? And working through that because a lot of the time when people are dependent on motivation, it's because they, they're using desire, but a faulty desire. I think desire is great in the sense of passion, but a lot of the time they're using a faulty desire that ends up being that the outcome, if, it's, if they go at it long enough, is disappointment. It's the same thing as when you, when you, um, you know, I've, I've had this experience and I know people that have had this experience too. You could have a one night stand. In the morning when you wake up, it's like maybe I desired it beforehand, but when I wake up in the morning, I don't feel very good about myself or the decision I made, right? It's like a disappointing outlook because it's like, well, you would ask yourself, what was I trying to really chase? I wanted connection, but I got it short term for a quick hit because of the feels in my body coming from void and lack. You know, or you may like the person and they, they don't want to be with you. So then it's like, well, man, I'm now I'm really disappointed and I, I feel like cheap that I just gave myself away like that, right? So, you know, whether you're an entrepreneur, where, like I'm sure everyone can relate where they've done things where they've gone, yeah, I'm not so proud of that because I knew I did it irrationally or off the cuff. And that's because you're trying, your, your actions that are coming from you is coming from the subconscious. And 95% of our thoughts are the same as the day before. We only think 5% new thoughts on on average, unless we are being intentional. And so a lot of what we do, we think we're so conscious, but we're not, we're really not. And if you've got invisible anchors that are holding you in the past and you've got mom and dad issues and you've got unresolved trauma and you've got the thing that you've never worked through with that happened with your ex, you better bet a lot of that's driving your, you into your destiny. Such powerful stuff. Oh my gosh, I love this conversation. So for some reason, what you're talking about reminds me of my journey in terms of me failing and a lot of my success has actually been me trying to get revenge. <laughs> so like, I, I don't know why this I is making me think is. of this, yeah. but like I, for example, didn't get my dream. I was supposed to be the next Angie Martinez. I didn't get my dream job at Hot 97. My revenge was, I'm going to start this big website and, you know, run the city anyway, you know? Then I didn't get on MTV and I was like, well, I'm just going to become whatever it was. Like, Everything that I ever did, even starting Young and Profiting Podcast, was revenge. I was like, you guys didn't give me something. I'm going to create it on my own. F you, right? So talk to us about why that's not a good place to be to start something new. Or is it? And can you like transform it later on into... Because I, I like to think that I'm not, you know, operating from only a place of motivation. I feel like I am inspired. But it did start with that feeling of revenge, is that good, bad? What, what are your thoughts on that? Well, am I talking to us or am I going to be talking with you on this? Because <laughs> Either way. <laughs> it's a coaching session. No, no that's, that's totally <laughs> fine. I'm happy to go there. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. It's, it's a similar place to me. You know, it's the, I got beaten in, in school. And when I dropped out, my thing was I, I hit the fork in the road. It was like the victim or the victor. And at the time, I chose what I thought was the victor. And to a degree, it was because it was all the tools I had. And I went, I'm going to prove you wrong. I didn't get beaten. You watch me. 
and and a lot of it fueled me and to be honest it set me up pretty good with the foundations and but i'm i'm sure you can really attest to this too Allah. Like, it gets exhausting and it becomes this never ending like it's never enough you know i'm never good enough i need to do more like and this is where the perfectionism starts to come in this is where i call it the obsessive idealist where you can forms of procrastination could be that sometimes if you have a really big vision you or you're getting ready to get ready it's like the thing that you know is really going to stretch you you don't want to step into that really big stretch because you you don't want to mess that up because you're hanging so much on it so you miss out on the really big amazing things you could be achieving and then the things that are in front of you that are a bit more attainable you tend to try and perfect it and you overanalyze it and you go into it so much and get yourself so involved that you actually start to you start to disconnect and lose a sense of why you're doing it in the first place because you're just trying to measure it now and you're like measuring the numbers and the views and the things like that even if you're not vocally sharing with people or oh, these are my numbers and views you're just it's like you constantly need goals and targets to show you that you're doing good enough rather than actually going well, why did I start this in the first place? And how do I actually feel about this, right? So I, I work a lot with um, entrepreneurs on procrastination and I, I teach them how to reprogram their procrastination. So how to counteract their patterns because there's six procrastination types. Entrepreneurs are usually either obsessive idealists. So what I just subscribed to you, shared to you, that was uh, the overcompensationary success. That's what it is called, overcompensationary success. And then the second one is the big shot. You know, somebody that has like really big vision, really big. I don't know if you've ever heard somebody where they just keep sharing these like out of these world ideas, really big, like we're going to make $20 million this month, and all these things. And like sometimes you're hearing it, you're like, wow, like, okay, go for it, you know. But they tend to almost like drown themselves out with too much of the talking of things they're going to do. And then they jump from project to project and never finish anything. Right. So this tends to be the thing. And then you've got the overgivers too. They're called the angry altruist. And and essentially what they do is they they tend to hang so much of their meaning of who they are and their validation on giving so much that they end up giving and giving so much that they end up feeling resentful towards others. But I'm gonna tell you what, like you're secretly resenting yourself in the process because you haven't drawn boundaries and you haven't dished out what you actually feel is fair game. You've given so much expecting a certain result. So this is a big one I find with entrepreneurs, you know, it's, it's like all your meaning comes from being this person that gives everybody something, but, you know, and, and it affects their relationships too. You know, the way that we show up towards our business, as much as it's not a good idea to treat your relationship like a business, because I think a lot of entrepreneurs make that mistake, it also trickles into our, into our relationships. We start showing up like that in relationships too. It's like, this is what I used to do. I had the I'm not good enough story in the background. I was going from overcompensationary success. I got so many pats on the back. When I came to America, you guys love to edify people and really pump people up and like really applaud. Australia is a lot more just kind of chill and casual. So like it's it takes a lot to impress someone in Australia. But in America, it was like this this high and a lot of its status. It's like they've achieved this and they've made this much money and they've done this and this and that. And it's like I'm speaking at events and hearing it all the time. So I'm like, oh, well, all these things must be really great things that I'm doing. You know, built schools and giving back and doing. So I'm like, cool. So then I started to actually convince myself of the hallucination that all my value is coming from what I have and what I do. So it translated in relationships. And I would date dismissive, avoidant, 
women that had those tendencies and I had anxious attachment tendencies of overcompensation or to please, people please. And so I would end up giving so much of the things like fancy trips, paying for like everything, expensive stuff, gifts, all these things to try and keep and maintain the relationship, even though it wasn't with the right person. We weren't compatible because I had this like idea, this projection of this potential of this person and me being the potential in that relationship too. And ultimately what happened was I, I reached a breaking point where I just, I was with the woman I really wanted to be with and it just wasn't working and I was just stressed to my eyeballs. And I had actually eventually, it led me to sitting down with my mom and my dad and doing a very healing conversation with both of them and working through layers of trauma and forgiveness. And when I looked at the girl that I was with, I looked at her and I just thought to myself, I didn't say this to her. Uh, I could say it to her now and she'd be fine with it. But like in, in myself, I was like, I don't need you anymore. And that's bad, right? Like we shouldn't need someone. You should want someone. But I found myself going, oh my gosh, I, I was in this. It was almost like I snapped out of it. Like I was on, it was like I was on love drugs for, you know, the, night, the like the 10 months. And then I just looked at it. And I'm like, I wasn't even attracted anymore. It's because I wasn't need, needing to get that met anymore. I realized I could meet it within myself because I had soothed myself and reconciled within the inner child in me that we're not in the past anymore that we get to create from where we are. You know, so I find like this is what happens. Hala is you have these overcompensationary success. It's because of something that happened back in childhood of like with either your mom or your dad. This is for anyone that's listening to where like with one of them or both of them, it was just never enough. And, and they may have never said to you, oh, you need to achieve more and that's not enough. It's just the story you start to form in your child because when we're first brought into this world, there's two things that we need from our parents. We have the necessities like, you know, water and, you know, like drinks and, and food. But essentially the two things we want is the first one is we want attachment because when we're a kid, we have no reference points. We've got an empty brain and we're like, we need to download a ton of information that actually makes sense of the world. So we're looking at mom and dad, like our caregivers, and we're like, okay, I'm feeling emotions in my body right now. And, and this translation would be a baby would be crying. So then the parent goes, okay, they'll pick the baby up. Now the baby can touch because that's the second thing it can do. If it can't touch, then it's going to cry. So it touches. And now the baby's feeling the, the body temperature. It's feeling the, the, it's seeing the body language. It's seeing the look in the eyes. And it's, and it's learning from you in real time. How do I regulate my emotions? Now, a lot of what they teach in the Western world Actually, a lot of a lot of countries, they teach like, oh, when the baby's crying, just leave it alone, just leave it alone. Like to an extreme, extreme yes, to a degree you want to have independence, but mostly that it's screwing the children up because the child's trying to learn when it feels feelings. How do I regulate my emotions? It doesn't know how. It needs you to show it how. So when you calm it down in that, it's like, okay, now I can soothe myself. So many people miss this incredible, important stage in their life as a child. And then the second thing that they they really need you and I needed even when we were children was to be authentically ourselves. And I find that like those that really crack it in life have gone on this journey of like, they've like lost themselves and they've journey journeyed back to who they authentically are. And they're, they're, they're very powerful people because they're unapologetically who they are. You know, they're not scared to be judged or ridiculed. Um, they've learned how to come from love and not, not fear. And that's been my practice. And I, I coach all my students and clients to come into that space and my other coaches too. It's like, learn, like do that, do the healing to come to that place. Because, you know, when we're a child, we take things so personally. 
the whole world we feel like revolves around us and and rightly so because we need to download the information from it but but it could just literally be mom coming in one day like angry about work and you see her in that mood and she says something to you and you're like that means i'm not good enough and then you take that with you you know and it becomes your story you tell yourself and it either becomes the reason why you don't step in to go for your dreams or it becomes the the pusher and the the motivator to make you overdrive in your dreams and to you know like i really believe that we we get to do our most amazing and most powerful work when we're centered in who we are because some people will think well joel don't heal me with that don't go into the forgiveness stuff don't go into the shadow because i don't want that to be taken away from me that i'm coming from void anymore i'm like no you actually become even more powerful because you're centered in who you are and you are really stepping into more of your potential that God has created you to be from the beginning of you entering this world. It's just that the systems and the belief, the belief patterns and that have kind of screwed you up and laid over the top and just confused you. Now we get to go back to who you really are and that's where you get to do your best work. Hey, Yap Fam. Starting my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass was one of the best things I've ever done for my business. I didn't have to waste time figuring out all the nuts and bolts of setting up a website that had everything I needed, like a way to buy my course, subscription offerings, chat functionality, and so on, because it was super easy with Shopify. (coughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business, whether you're selling your first product, finally taking your side hustle full time, or making half a million dollars from your masterclass like me. And it doesn't matter if you're selling digital products or vegan cosmetics. Shopify helps you sell everywhere from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Shopify's got you covered as you scale. Stop those online window shoppers in their tracks and turn them into loyal customers with the internet's best converting checkout. I'm talking 36% better on average compared to other options out there. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S., from huge shoe brands like Allbirds to vegan cosmetic brands like Thrive Cosmetics. Actually, back on episode 253, I interviewed the CEO and founder of Thrive Cosmetics, Carissa Bodnar, and she told me about how she set up her store with Shopify and it was so plug and play, her store exploded right away. Even for a makeup artist type girl with no coding skills, it was easy for her to open up a shop and start her dream job as an entrepreneur. That was nearly a decade ago, and now it's even easier to sell more with less thanks to AI tools like Shopify Magic. And you never have to worry about figuring it out on your own. Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. So you can focus on the important stuff, the stuff you like to do, because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com profiting, and that's all lowercase. If you want to start that side hustle you've always dreamed of, if you want to start that business you can't stop thinking about, if you have a great idea, what are you waiting for? Start your store on Shopify. Go to shopify.com slash profiting now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Shopify.com slash profiting for $1 per month trial period. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. This episode of Yap is brought to you by The Jordan Harbinger Show. 
Want a new podcast to look forward to each and every week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Of course you do. The average podcast listener has six shows in their rotation. So there's a big chance you're not only listening to Young and Profiting Podcast, and that's totally okay. In fact, I'd love to share a podcast to add to your list. The Jordan Harbinger Show, a top shelf podcast named Best of Apple in 2018. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people from athletes, authors, and scientists to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. He has an undeniable talent for getting his guests to share never been heard before stories and thought provoking insights. Without fail, he pulls out tactical bits of wisdom in each episode. If you like Yap, you're going to love the Jordan Harbinger Show because, you know, I've only been called the female version of Jordan about a hundred times. Point blank, Jordan Harbinger is smart, funny, and easy to listen to. You'll be pressed to find an episode without excellent conversation, a few laughs, and actionable advice that can directly improve your life. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show, that's H-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Amazing, amazing stuff. So I want to go back to your four dimensions of success, which is you've been like touching on this the whole time. And I want to talk about values because I know that's kind of step number one is really understanding your values. Is there some sort of a methodology that you have that you can walk us through in terms of like really identifying? Because like what you're saying is like you don't want to be guided by all your trauma, but you need to be guided by something. And I think that's your value. So how do we get there? Yeah, absolutely. So your values are, this is how how I see it. Your values is your compass. Your vision, when you map your vision game plan out, it's like you're taking off in your landing strip for your dreams, right? And then when you look at your values, I want you to go deeper. I'm going to challenge you to do it now if you're listening, is to write this down. The first, you got two types. The first type of values is vocational values. So vocational meaning like fitness, reading, writing, traveling, it doesn't always end with the ing, but it's like a doing, right? It's a, it's a, it's a doing type of uh, value, right? And, and it's like usually hobbies and things you like to fill your day with, okay? So getting clear on like, what are my top three or top four or top five vocational values? Then the other side of the coin is your core values. And your core values may be peace, uh, loyalty. It could be integrity, compassion, joy creativity, you know, like, and sometimes they feel like they kind of cross over a little bit and that's okay. You can have that, but it's just really about getting clear on like who I be, which is my core and wh- what I do is my vocational. So getting clear on those and making decisions more from that place, because when you think about it, Allah, every decision you make is driven by your beliefs and your values. Okay. What I believe to be true, my perception of the world and how I see it. And if somebody came along and said, Hey, Joel, do you want to go down the alleyway and shoot up heroin? I know it sounds kind of intense, but, but to me, it's like, well, that's on my hierarchy of values. It's number 199,999, whatever of me being even interested in that. So in that split second, the word values comes from the word evaluate in that split second, I'm evaluating to go, is that a yes or a no? Do I want to involve my time in this? Because time's the most important thing. Like right now, seconds are going by. We're never getting this back again. Like money comes and goes and creation, you can keep creating, but time doesn't, right? So values are really important. A lot of people waste a lot of time filling most of their day without their top values. And then they wonder why they're not actually living a fulfilled life, right? 
And when you're living in what fulfills you, you're in spirit more. So you're more powerful and more inspired. You don't really need the external energy and motivation to light you up. You're already internally lit from within. Uh, and then we look at, remember I said beliefs, That's that just speaks for itself. You, you know the importance of beliefs, right? So many people have invisible anchors that are holding them down. And so really working through the belief clearing, the trauma, the shadow work, the inner child, all that stuff, super important. But our, our habits, which we have next, if you look at this, it's really interesting. Your habits are like the energy bolts of action that you take each and every day that inches you closer to success. And you're either moving closer to it or further away from it if you're not committing to your, your habits, right? So if our beliefs and our values drive every decision we make, well, guess what? Our habits and our beliefs shape our identity. Because what I believe about the world and about myself to be true and I keep showing up in it, it actually forges my personality because how we think, how we act and how I, we feel determines our personal reality through our personality. And hey, if you're not getting great opportunities in your life and you feel like you're disconnecting, like work through those things because there's that you're probably creating invisible wedges between you and other people. It's like, if I know somebody's centered in who they are, there's like a power to them. You know, when you walk in the room and you go up and you introduce yourself, and you know more of who you are and you're not insecure in who you are because you've, you've done the work and you've worked through it. There's this frequency to it where I see that and I'm like, man, I want to give this person an opportunity or I want to be friends with this person. I think we could deliver great value. And you, you want to help people like that. People like that that are like fulfilled and that have that energy, they tend to have a lot of people around them that want to support them and that want to work for them or work with them, right? So that creates a massive win for you. And then we have the last element of the four dimensions of excellence, which is skills. You know, the skills, which is able. And I don't just mean like any old skill. It's, it's what you can either hire or acquire. Okay. Because sometimes like for me, I don't like accounting, but I'm going to hire someone for the accounting because I want my business to do well. So it's like, well, someone's got to manage it. It's not me. I, it's like the last thing on my ladder too. It's right down lowest values. But someone else can crunch those numbers, right? And then we have acquire. Now I challenge people with this because there's a, there's a breakdown of studies some research around skill development. And it says that in order to go from, this is generally most skill sets, right? Like Photoshop, learning music, learning software, learning hands-on skills and so on, whatever it may be, speaking, copywriting, whatever it is. In order to be able to get to a level of like above average efficacy in your skill set, you want to be able to develop at least 20 hours. Okay. 20 hours of learning. So cognitively understanding, but also applying and practicing and getting feedback and learning how to fine tune the art. Right. So 20 hours. Now I say this to my students and my clients all the time. I, I say to them, okay, uh, there was someone that wanted to go for a, a pay rise in their job. They want to get a promotion. I said, define the skill. Which skill is it? And like, well, for me, it's actually it's negotiating because they wanted to get into a sales position. And it was going to be, it's crazy. Like the jump between the, the pay brackets was literally like 50 grand a year to like 90 grand. So it was like a 40 grand jump. And I said, okay, if I came along and I said to you, I'm going to give you a $40,000 pay jump this year, year in, year out. You, and you could even go higher down the line because you have no cap on commissions. Would you commit for just 30 days straight, 40 minutes a day, learning the skill set of negotiation and sales? Would you commit to just 30 days straight to learn that skill set? 
It's only 20 hours. She, like every time I ask somebody like that, that question, they'll say, of course. Hey, if you could make an extra six figures this year or multiple six figures a year, would you commit to 40 minutes per day for the next 60 days? Would you do that? And, and remember, you don't lose it. You could take it with you for the rest of your life if you want and add it on top of it too. And you can train it and you can teach it and everything else, right? So I, I like to challenge people to think like this. You know, pull it apart. Like I, I love creating frameworks. I love getting really complex teachings and then like simplifying it so I can teach it to the masses and go like, let's compartmentalize this, break it down, make it actionable so you can commit to it. And like, let, then let's see if your life improves. I've been testing this stuff for, for more than a decade and it works. Yeah, I could tell. And if anybody's interested in that 20 hour rule, I actually interviewed Josh Kaufman, who I think is the one who developed uh, that. And so if you guys want to check that out, uh, just look for Josh Kaufman on my feed. So this has been absolutely amazing. You are so inspirational, so talented. And um, I want to ask one more question before my last kind of question. And that is, I want to know about self-sabotage because from my understanding, you believe it doesn't exist. And I think it's a really important lesson to teach everyone. And so I just want you to, I want to make sure that you give that message before we go. Hey, you did some research. You know me well. You know me well. You must have looked at a lot of my content. This is great. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. You know, it's, it, it is refreshing, you know, because it means that we're able to go even deeper on the stuff that that is good work that we can share with your audience. And, um, they're lucky to have you. Seriously, this is great. So yeah, I, I don't believe it exists. And the reason being is because there are two worlds that exist within us. You got the aware and the unaware. Okay. And the question is like, which part of you is getting what it actually wants? Is it the aware part of you? Is it the unaware part of you, which is the unconscious? Okay. And like I shared before, so much of our traumas and our lack and our scarcity and our voids are coming from the unaware. There's some good things in there too. I don't want to just make it out like the subconscious is responsible for every, you know, like bad thing that's happening in your life. It's not about that. Um, there's some great programs in there too that have worked really well. It's just a matter of like, I want to do even better and I want my people to do better. So it's like, let's look at it and see what we, what can we tweak? What we can, what can we improve? And, and, Self-sabotage for the most part is when you haven't integrated and brought the unconscious into the conscious. And Carl Jung says this. Uh, he says that unless we make the conscious unconscious, it'll direct your life and you will call it fate. Okay. So a lot of people are like bouncing around like a pinball in a pinball machine, not bringing any of the unconscious to their awareness. So it's like, you know, if I'm in a situation where Let's say I'm, I'm trying to do a business deal and somebody walks in the room and they remind me of my father and I haven't healed. And then I feel like they may be narcissistic. Not, not that my dad was, I'm just saying that because an example, some people experience that. And then it starts to trigger them. And then they start like looking at that person as a representation, as an avatar of their father. And then they don't know how to connect with it. And then it like they lose a deal. They could get triggered in that moment. Their stuff comes up. And they may not consciously be wanting to do that. It's just that it starts to, because your body is the unconscious, the unconscious is the body. You start getting the feelings and you're like, uh, I, I don't like this. And you become disempowered. And it's very evident in a room, especially when you've got business deals going on, negotiations, or, you know, like people are very attuned to seeing like who's the alpha in the room and who's handling this and who's stepping in with confidence. It happens a lot in the business world. I'm sure you, you've, you've witnessed that. So the more that we can work on that, what it means is that, your unconscious isn't playing sneaky games anymore. It's like it's not popping out here in front of you. 
you know, it's kind of like, you know, let's say like you have a friend that goes to hide behind the corner because they want to scare you and you've already seen them going. You're like, I just saw them try and hide because they're going to jump out and like try and scare me. It's not scary, is it? Like you walk up and they're like, ah, and you're like, ah, I saw you there. It's the same thing that happens with your, your unconscious too. So if I'm catching those things out and acknowledging that they're there, I've identified, acknowledged, and then I've let it go and I've heard it and I've reconciled with it. It can't play sneaky games anymore. It's like I've shone the torch on it and gone, ah, I gotcha. So it can still be there as like a part of me that I was I experienced it at some point, but it no longer has power over me. So it lowers the charge in the unconscious, which means that it also lowers the signal it sends to the gut and the body. So then I don't feel like I'm in fight or flight when I'm in those situations anymore. I'm no longer triggered. I love that. So negotiation, you brought it up a bunch of times. I want to understand why you believe negotiation is part of like every fabric of life and how we can become better negotiators. A negotiation is no good if it's not actually taking you towards where you really truly want to go. You know, I, I say this often to people that especially coaches, they come to me and they're like, yeah, I want to coach and I want to, you know, I'm go- I've got this money, I've got this budget, I'm going to put it into my branding and marketing. And I'm like, cool, what's your niche? And they're like, oh, and they're not clear. I'm like, well, then you're just going to throw 10 grand or 20 grand up the wall. Like, what's the point? You know, like if you're one degree off or a couple of degrees off and not to be perfectionist about it, it's just that sometimes some people may not have all their ducks lining up in a way which could be really powerful for them. And then they just, they just go on, on the course in that direction thinking, if I put a bunch of money behind it, it's got to work. And that's not, not true. It's not the case. I've had people that say, you know, Facebook ads doesn't work. It's like, well, you just haven't, maybe your content sucks. Like, <laughs> yeah, you haven't yeah, really figured it out. It's like, maybe your content sucks. Like, let's look at it and we'll make it better. Like, let's, I'll give you feedback and let's get it to like a better level or a premium level maybe they're not convinced that you can actually coach them. Maybe they feel like, maybe they're picking up on unconscious stuff. Maybe you're not ready to be a coach. Doesn't mean that you, you won't ever be ready. Maybe we've got a little bit more work to do. You know, I'm very, I'm very honest because I had to be honest with myself in order for me to actually play at a higher level. I needed that. I needed people to lovingly kick my ass too, you know? So yeah, I think that when it comes to negotiating, it's, it's making sure that we're going in the right direction first. And a lot of your values, beliefs, habits, skills, great frameworks, casting your vision out and making sure you're injecting your values in it so that you're crafting something you actually want to go for and being real with yourself when you've got healing work to do in yourself too. You get better and better at picking it up. You never fully get it. That's why you need a coach or a mentor. Uh, But when it comes to negotiation, this is what I'll say. There's that, making sure you're going, you know, in the right direction. The second thing is when you're negotiating, a lot of times people get caught up in the experience and they'll kind of go all over the place. I truly believe that the name of the game is whoever stays in their lane the longest wins. It's actually very straightforward and very simple and people complicate processes too much. So it comes to negotiation. If I, if I got something that I desire to create, either with that person or something that we're looking at achieving and I think it, they'd be a great support or vice versa, I stay on target. So this is, look, this is what I want, right? Like you may introduce some other things, we may consider it, but what I really want to be able to create is this. Um, when I When I reach out to people for like interview requests, you know, we've had a lot of awesome guests um, like you as well. I'm just very direct. It's like, hey, here's what I'm looking for. And here's what I'm going to bring to the table. Are you down? Like, are you open for this? Like, yes or no? You know, like I don't, I don't sugarcoat it. I don't want it to be too fluffy. It doesn't need to be. So there's that. When it comes to negotiating in sales, people buy based off feelings. They don't buy based off facts. 
you can spout the statistics and the numbers and everything. It doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. They're not going to remember that really. Like unless it's a very profound thing and that they're a numbers person, they're probably not going to care for it. What they remember, like Maya Angelou says, is how, you, how they felt when they were around you, how you made them feel. That's what they take with them. Um, whether they know it or not, they just remember. It's like if I think of people in my life and even you, like think of certain people and think, there's some people that just irk you, like you feel squirmish around them. And then there's some people where you're like, man, I just really love being around that person. So my goal is, is that I find like if I'm sitting there, I know I'm, I'm talking quite a bit because I'm also being interviewed. <laughs> when I'm interviewing people, I'm a lot more quiet. But, you know, when, when I'm uh, connecting with people in negotiation, I'm often the one asking them questions and listening a lot more to their stories. And I'm, I'm also guiding and navigating and, and directing the conversation by asking them, like, you know, what are some things you'd love to create? Like share two to three things. Okay, what are two to three things that you feel like you're struggling with? How long do you feel like you were struggling with that for? Uh, if you were to work with me, uh, what would your next 30 days look like? What would your next 90 days look like? What would a year look like for you? How would you feel if you were able to be supported? With? So I, I, I'm taking them through positive and negative emotional journey. And it's not like NLPS, blah, blah, blah. It's that this is the best way to be able to actually connect with someone like real to real and actually like, what are you feeling, bro? What are you feeling, ma'am? Like, what, what, what are we feeling here? I want to get like an idea of what actually lights you up. I want to get an idea of what you feel like it's painful and you're struggling with. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of just script talk, you know? So yeah, negotiation for me a lot is, is digging into people's journey. Like I have, a, I have a great fascination and curiosity to want to know people and know their story. And I, I get that from you too. You know, you, you brought it up in this conversation too. And you go very far in life because it's about getting to know them. And everybody's favorite radio station is WIIFM. It's like what's in it for me is tattooed on their forehead. You know, everyone's about that. So yeah, it's good to know. Good to know that for sure. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, so the last question I ask all my guests is what is your secret to profiting in life? I give it back to God give it back to him because as much as I like to think that I created absolutely everything, it wouldn't be possible without him. And I'm not trying to make this like a Grammy speech or an Emmy speech. I, I truly, I truly believe, you know, in my, in my beliefs, in my views that we have the opportunity and, and I experienced the opportunity to co-create with God. I don't see him as somebody that just predestined my whole life that he's got everything all mapped out. I think he'd be a, probably a pretty angry architect by now because I've gone against the plan many times. But I do believe that he's he's there co-creating, you know, with me in that. And and it's very powerful. And and I can say that because I've experienced it on many different levels and I've come to understand that we're not just dancing with our DNA. Like we didn't just pop out of nothingness. Like we're, we're here for a reason. You know, when, when he brought us out of eternity and placed us into the, the finite, into time, he did that for a reason. There's value in our heart. Your life has meaning and so does mine. And I never go a day without remembering that and, and thinking about that. It's really important. We're all really important. And I think the world loses lose the sight of that a lot, um, especially now there's a war on reality. And I think a lot of people are confused about what's up and down and left and right. And, and then the, things are politicized and there's, 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 you know, a lot of confusion in the space and it's like, who do we trust now? And, and so for me, my big thing is making sure I'm surrounded by great and powerful people and powerful in, in the fact that they're coming from the truest power and the, the most potent power, which is love, you know, and creation and, 
And uh, yeah, my spiritual walk is is super important for me. And that's where I profit. I don't look, I don't measure money. Like, yeah, we could say money is profit. Ultimately, I want my soul bank to be full. Uh, you know, my bank account can have some dollars in it to build some structures, but I want my soul bank to be full. I want to feel like what I said and did left a great impact on somebody that when they walked away from me, they felt seen, heard, and understood. You know, like that's that's powerful. That's how I want to feel, and that's how I want others to feel too. That's beautiful. And and where can our listeners go to learn more about you and everything that you do? Yeah, thank you. Uh, you can check me out on Instagram. So. I am Joel Brown. Uh, we also have the Addicted to Success podcast. I also have another podcast called The Unknown God. And it's a podcast for people that don't like church, right? It's very much about spiritual transcendence. And we go into very theological conversations. We talk about escaping the matrix. We talk about transhumanism. Uh, we talk about creation. We talk about the uh, world of good and evil and how to make sense of it. We talk a lot of philosophical things. And I've got a really incredible co-host on there, Marcos Torres, who, who's, this guy's incredible. So anyway, you can check that out. And also go to influentialcoach.com if you are inspired to become a coach yourself. Uh, there are a lot of people out there that, that will proclaim that they're a coach and they can put a, a title on there. But truly, being a coach means that you're able to actually have the tool sets and the frameworks and also know how to hear the things that are behind the things that are being said and knowing how to listen and have that presence and and to be the space with others to be able to facilitate transformation. It's about getting results. It's the only thing that really matters as a coach. So if you want to learn how to do that and how to build a coaching business in an authentic way, not selling yourself out and, and really doing it from a place of where you value the craft of coaching the most and, and you just really love being able to support others in a, in a healthy and powerful way, then uh, head there and apply because we've got the, the program is open and uh, we kick off uh, in the next couple months. All right. So, so don't miss out and just message me if you've got any questions. I'm approachable. I'm not going to bite. <laughs> you know, so just reach out. Okay. Awesome. And I highly recommend his stuff, guys. If you're going to go with a coach, you better go with Joel. He is absolutely amazing. So thank you so much for your time. Wonderful conversation. You too, Hala. Thanks a million. I appreciate you. Thanks for listening to Young and Profiting Podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you can always catch the latest episode. Joel Brown is a super inspiring guy. I'm so happy we got to chat with him today. And as we discussed, he had a major moment in his life, and that's when Jordan Belfort taught him how to cast a 10-year vision. He made his plan, and then he achieved his vision before Target, and now he runs the number one motivation website in the world. So I want to ask you guys, where do you see yourself in 10 years? It's such a commonly asked question, but have you ever really stopped to map out exactly where you want to be? I believe that living a life worth living starts with defining what kind of life you want to live. I loved the advice that Joel gave us about reverse engineering it, which means you start with the 10th year and then go backwards. So everybody out there listening, I want you to write out your 10-year vision and ask yourself, what can I do each year to get closer and closer to my goal in the 10th year? And when trying to reach our vision, we have to think about all areas of our life, not just your career or not just your finances. You want to incorporate things like health 
health, romance, family and friends, fun and adventure, self-development, even your physical environment. You want to be holistic about it. The other thing I want you to remember is it's not about achieving the vision. It's about who you become in the process. None of our dreams or visions are going to be accomplished overnight. So you really need to enjoy the process and life can absolutely get better, but it's not about the things that you have at the end of it all. It's about who you become in the process because you get to take you everywhere. If you haven't subscribed to Young and Profiting Podcast yet, please take a moment to do so now so you can be alerted every time we drop a new episode. And if you love this podcast, remember to leave us a five-star review so we can shout you out on the next episode. And speaking of that, I want to give a quick shout out to one of our latest Apple Podcast reviewer. And this one goes out to Deontay the Great. Hala is a force of nature. I've been impressed with Hala's mindset about success for years, but her podcast takes it to another level. With an incredible perspective on what is required to succeed and an engaging interview style, Hala possesses the key attributes to inspire growth and belief in her listeners. I highly recommend. Thank you so much, Deontay, for this lovely review. And thank you for supporting me on LinkedIn and now the podcast. I love it when I hear about my LinkedIn fans who then discover the podcast and find value in the content. It is one of my favorite things to hear. And if you're out there tuning in, please take a couple minutes, write us a review on Apple Podcasts, drop me a five-star review, and you can help support Young and Profiting Podcast in a free and effective way. And if you tuned in to the entirety of this podcast to the very end, I want to know, I want to see your bragging rights. Take a screenshot of this app right now and then throw it up on your Instagram story. Tag me at Yap with Hala and I'm going to repost and share. I support those who support us. So again, if you listen to the entirety of this episode, you should brag about it. Show people what you're listening to. Take a screenshot of this app tag me at yap with hala tell people your biggest takeaway i love to support those who support us you can also find me on linkedin at hala taha and i'm also on clubhouse at hala taha as well big thanks to the yap team as always this is hala signing off